Open your Bibles to Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Thank you, Crystal. So Psalm 133. Let me leave that there. We'll see. Um, you know, last week, uh, you know, Chaim and I had spoke last week, and, and, and he said, you know, for preaching this week, he said, just, you know, we want to give, he, he called this sort of a devotional message. So we didn't have a real uh, focus um, going into when we met last week before he left. And when I was in services that Shabbat, I believe he sang Hine Matov as well, that Shabbat. I'm almost positive we did. We sang it this week as well. This is the psalm. This is, this is that psalm in Hebrew. Hine Matov umanaim shevetachim gam yachad. That's the verse 1, or part of verse 1 of Psalm 1. There's a beginning that talks about it's a psalm of ascent of David. And then it says, Hine Matov umanaim shevetachim gam yachad. And when I heard that last week, I thought to myself, that's, that just seems to be the psalm. I said, that's what I think I need to preach on next week. And uh, that kind of stuck with me, and it didn't, didn't shake it uh, over, over the, the weekend or the week. And so that's why we're preaching on it today. And um, it's kind of, uh, I kind of find it, I don't want to say ironic, but you were also in, in the Parsha Korach this week. And if you've, um, if you've read that or you listened to Dr. Dallaire, hopefully you did. It's quite a picture of rebellion and disunity and so forth. And then this psalm is about unity. And I thought, okay. Before I get started, we should make one of those like motion picture disclaimers, you know, like anything that's, that's, that seems to be, you don't infer that any people, real, imagined, living or dead, are being referenced in this message, okay? If you take something, if something hits you or whatever, it's because it's a very personal thing, these relationships, and we all have them. And so any, any, uh, any inference to people uh, that you, you know personally, or again, uh, it's purely coincidental, okay? Purely coincidental. But, but Psalm 133 is, is, is a great psalm. It's, very, it's short. It's only three verses. Um, and the, the theme, the thematic statement of the psalm is really laid out there in verse 1. V- verse 1 is the, the point of the psalm. The rest is explanatory. And we'll, we'll look at some of the explanatory imagery as we go on in this psalm. But theme one, I mean, uh, verse 1 is the theme of this statement. Basically, the effectiveness and the pleasantness of family unity. The effectiveness and pleasantness of that. Those are the, the two pictures of effective and pleasant. I'll talk about that. And I was thinking, you know, kind of the picture that comes to me when I think about pleasantness and, and goodness. Um, there's lots of pictures, but I, I know this, the summertime. I, I enjoy the summertime in Denver. Really, I enjoy all the, the, the seasons or the weather in, in Denver. But um, the summertime, I really look forward to. And... Uh, I'm not a big yard work kind of guy, but I do, I mean, I do what I need to do, and I do cut the grass, and so I have this picture, you know, after, when I cut the grass, it's usually in, in the later evening in the summer, and um, when I'm done, the, I go to back to the backyard to put the lawnmower away, and there's shade back there, the sun is already setting on the other side of the house, and so it's pretty much all in shade, and it's nice, and it's cool, and I've worked hard, and it's just pleasant. I just sit on the back porch, it's a pleasant evening, it's cool. Uh, I might have a have a drink or something. Might even eat dinner out there sometimes. And it's just it's just pleasant. Now, think about that scenario f- for a moment with something a little different. 
I've still done the same work. It's still pleasant as I'm sitting in the same spot. Everything's the same, except on the other side of the door, on the inside of the house. I'm really outside because I'm not getting along with the folks inside. Okay? I'm at odds with my wife, let's say, or my kid. We're upset with each other or whatever, and I'm out there kind of because I want to be alone. Again, it's the same it's the same, same situation, same climate. Again, I've done the work, but it's neither good nor pleasant, you know? And that's sort of the opposite picture of what we see in this psalm. And so I want, I want to look at this psalm this week, looking at the picture of how things should be, how things could be, and what is at stake when we are and we also are not, when we are and when we are not dwelling in unity. What, what would that look like? And again, um, I think this is very... It's, it's always very uh, applicable, but this week is just kind of interesting because of the parsha that we're in as well. So if you have your Bible, I want you to have the psalm open there so we can kind of look at it as we go through. And um, it starts off, this is an attention grabber. You often see this behold uh, at the beginning of, of verses, and it really is just an attention getter. The psalmist here, which is, this psalm is attributed to David, he's saying, look, you know, stop, check things out here for a minute, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And he says, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There's an older version of the Bible, um, you know, called the Septuagint. I mean, if you've heard of that, it's a Greek version of the Bible. It's much older than the Hebrew texts we have and pretty much agrees in most parts with everything we have in the Hebrew. Um, but sometimes there's things that are a little bit different, some things that are longer and so forth. And in, in the, the Septuagint version of the Bible, it says it a little differently, which I think is, is enlightening. It says, kind of like a question. It poses it like a question. Because in Hebrew, it's, it's how, ma, you know, it's, it's how. And in, in the Greek, it says, what? What is so beautiful and what is so pleasant as when brothers dwell together in unity? So it's posed like a question. It's one of those questions that you don't really, there's no, you know, you know the answer. The answer is, like, when it says, who is greater than God? Well, the answer is, no one. And when it says, what is, you know, what is so beautiful and what is so pleasant as when this kind of situation happens, the answer is nothing. That's the point, is that there's really nothing more beautiful and pleasant um, so when, when we can dwell together in unity. And so I see that as the, the pinnacle, I mean, the absolute pinnacle of desired messianic body life. The absolute pinnacle is what's being described here. The absolute goal is what's being described here in Psalm 133. And so then the text, again, is trying to grab our attention and say, look, this is, this is a, a worth, worthwhile goal. This is the, the ultimate goal that I see in the body. Try to imitate it. This picture that I'm about to paint here, you know, God says he approves of it, he desires it, and he wants to bless it. So most of your translations are going to have, um, I forgot what crystals, I think you said good and pleasant, didn't it? Good and pleasant? Yeah, most of them say good and pleasant. They might say um, beautiful, how good and beautiful, how good and lovely, something along those lines. The two Hebrew words there are um, tov, which is Dr. Dallaire's second favorite word in, the, I think, any language. It's tov, tov, tov all the time. Um, tov and naim. Those are the two words, tov and naim. And the word tov really just does mean good. Uh, it means beneficial. It could mean useful. You first see Tov in the Bible uh, in the creation account. God creates things, and he says, I did this, and that was good, you know. And then he says, I created this man, and you know what? By himself, and it's not good. So that's the first place that we see. It's a pretty basic uh, utilitarian 
type of word, pretty basic word. And then the other word, na'im, the one that's generally really uh, pleasant is how it should be translated. Or again, you may see it lovely or beautiful. Uh, every week, we hear that word in our Torah service when the guy who's got that part actually does the part on time, you know? <laughs> you actually barely heard it this week because I forgot that I, I was very distracted there. But we hear that word every, every week. You may not realize it, but we say that the Torah is a tree of life, right? At the end, we say, Same word. And that's, that's the word that we say in the Torah. Um, and more specifically, this, this comes from Proverbs 3. I don't know if you know that. Proverbs 3.18, that whole... The Torah, is, its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. So it's talking about wisdom there in the psalm, but the wisdom is the same idea as, as, as the Torah, that its ways are ways of pleasantness, its paths are shalom. So likewise, in, that, in, in the psalm, in Psalm 133, we see that dwelling in unity is seen the same way as God's standards, or God's Torah, his wisdom. The idea of dwelling in unity is seen the same as following God's standards and his ways, are their ways of pleasantness. It's the same word there. Now, if you were to look up in a, in a concordance, which is a, a, just a book that has all the words that are used in the Bible, and you can see where they are, if you were to look up in a concordance um, that word um, pleasant, um, or specifically you look up the Hebrew word na'am or na'im to see where that particular word is used, uh, specifically they're in the Psalms quite a bit, and you'll see all kinds of connections between pleasantness and, and the idea of what life with God is about, the way it should be. And more expanded images, even than what we have in this, in this psalm here, Psalm 133, of what life in uh, the Lord means with those characteristics of na'im, and often tov, often, it's often even, even linked with the word blessed. You'll often see if something's good and it's pleasant, it's blessed by God. It's got, it carries God's blessing as well, usually linked in that way. All those kind of words are together, and you'll look at, you'll see these amazing pictures of how of how life in God should be, and it should be pleasant. I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm not hammering on that. The psalm is hammering on this, I think, because, and I'll talk about it later. Quite frankly, that's not always our experience, uh, pleasantness and goodness. And the opposite picture of that, when you were to look at the opposite of, of you know, of usually the opposite of tov is. Lotov, not good. <laughs> the opposite of Naim, anyone know what the opposite of, the opposite of Naim is? The actual, what they call the antonym? It's in the Bible, specifically laid out in the book of Ruth. Because the mother is named what? Naomi. Naomi. Same word. And she says, look, don't call me that anymore. My life, call me Mara. 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 Same, same. So it's the actual opposite. The opposite of good and pleasant is bad and bitter. Okay. Um, I may talk about that a little bit as well later. So the psalm talks about brothers. Some people get kind of uh, really concerned. What, what brothers are we talking about here? Because it does say brothers, okay? It's not politically correct, I know, but it says achim. It says brothers. And there's a lot of question as to what exactly is David talking about here? Is he talking about kind of the woes within his own family? So is he talking about blood relations, how things could be better? Because he certainly had a lot of the opposite. Is he talking about the, the kingdoms, the split of the kingdoms? What, what exactly is, is he talking about here? Um, and you'll often see the tra- your translations might say brothers. Your translations might say kinfolk. You might say kindred. It might say siblings. Or it might say God's people. 
And I think, again, the word is achim, brothers, but I do think that in context and what's going on here is that it, it does extend and, and conclude uh, all that stuff, blood relations, but certainly within us, a spiritual community. The idea of God's people is certainly within the, the realm of what that means. And so the fact that the psalm is bringing attention to how good and how pleasant it is when brothers are gathered together in unity and harmony, to me, makes an unspoken point that, you know, why make that point? Well, because it might very well not be the case all the time. Just like when you read in, in Joshua, you read about Joshua saying, be strong, be strong and of good courage. Or David says, Solomon, you can build this temple. Don't be afraid. You know, be strong, right? Why is he saying that? Because there's a real possibility for all those people to be weak, uh, to be cowardly, and to be fearful. There's a real possibility there, and it's the, same, it's the same in our context. And why is that? This psalm, if you'll look, some of your Bibles actually show it uh, in a group of psalms called, this, called the Psalms of Ascent. And it actually says, Shir Ma'alot, at the beginning of the psalm, it's a psalm of the going up. And so it's a psalm of ascent. The, one of the pilgrimage festivals where people are gathering together and going to Jerusalem to worship together in this spiritual community. That's why I believe the idea of it being spiritual brothers and sisters is certainly within the realm of what, what David means by brothers here. And so think about that kind of travel, going up there. Uh, it's a little different than, than, than we do nowadays, right? Would there be a possibility for strife and contention in those kind of settings? Competition for parking spaces. Competition for water, supplies, lodging, that kind of stuff. I think that's really, uh, really part of what's in view here as the psalm of ascent and why he's saying, look, it'd be great if we could all live in unity and harmony because you're going up to the temple right now. You're all going, and there's going to be, there's going to be always uh, um, opportunities. I hate to use that word opportunities when you're talking about opportunities for strife, but there's always going to be opportunities for strife. So are we in competition with one another as part of this community? It might not seem like it on the surface, but I think we might be. I don't, again, I don't think we're, we're not fighting over parking spaces. There's a huge parking lot out there. We're not fighting over seats today. I hope that one day we do fight over seats, that there's just so many people that we've got to fight over seats a little bit. Okay. But in some other ways, I think we do, um, we do have some issues because you know, we all live busy lives. We show up on Shabbat. There are times I come and I think, boy, I really wanted to talk to this person. I didn't get a chance to talk to them. Maybe it was my fault. Maybe they were busy. You know, who knows what the reason might be. I talked to them, but I couldn't talk to them for as long as I wanted to. And we're all trying to jam things in on, on Shabbat. And so, you know, we might get a little bit rubbed the wrong way about that kind of thing. Um, even beyond that, I think quite often we're in, we're in silent competition with one another, you know. Maybe you're uh, not like this, but I, I think people tend to size other people up when they meet them. We quickly kind of figure out kind of where they come from, what economic thing, where, where, how educated they are. You know, do they have an easier time in life than I do? Are they, are they having a harder time in life than I do? And then based on all that, you know, uh, analysis of information, we kind of come up with a, with a feeling one way or the other about somebody, you know? Again, I don't know the particulars, I don't know the particulars of what might cause strife within a spiritual community, within our community, but I know that the book of James uh, tells us that our conflicts and disputes, in chapter 4, right at the beginning of chapter 4, says that our conflicts and disputes come from our unmet desires, and they, it says there in James, it says, you want something and you don't have it, and that's why you fight, and that's why you argue, and that's why you kill. And so again, what is it that we, don't, we have and don't want? I have no idea. <laughs> 
Maybe it's, again, maybe it's time that we wanted with somebody. Maybe you wanted time with Rabbi Chaim and he was busy or whatever it might be. Maybe it was that time. Maybe it was, you know, you want something you see someone else have. I don't know what it is. But again, the reality and the possibility is certainly there. It's certainly there. There's a certain potential for disunity within our communities and within our families. It's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. There was a... Um, what you want to call him, I guess, a Bible scholar, uh, a guy named Jerome. Have you ever heard of Jerome? He lived in the third century, translated the Bible into Latin, and made a lot, has a lot of other writings that he made, pretty amazing for his time. And he saw the, this picture of Psalm 133 um, as unlikely to be found in any setting beyond, say, a convent or a monastery. That's what he said. You know, He felt that there's just too much diversity and too, much, too many personal interests on the part of people within a typical congregation that, that would absolutely prohibit any kind of harmony or unity. And you might say, well, that was the third century, right? Um, in fact, if you know about Jerome, he lived many of his lives, decades, in a cave, right? He was a caveman. Lived in a cave, literally, and he wrote his stuff in a cave. And you think, so what does he know? That's kind of old-fashioned, old right? Antiquated. Well, in speaking about the possibility of the song being a reality... This is what he wrote. I'm kind of reading his words basically verbatim. He said, actually, what kind of fraternity do we find there? Talking about the congregation or the church in his case. He said, what kind of fraternity do we find there? Usually, one member is in a hurry to go home, another to the circus. This third century, Barnum and Bailey's is closed now, so that doesn't apply to us. Another, all the while he is in the service is planning how he will invest his money. <laughs> That's what he wrote in the third century, you know? So what about it? Are these such outdated things that Jerome's talking about here? Is the picture of Psalm 133 a possible way of life for us today, living together in unity? Is it possible? Quite frankly, um, sometimes it seems like the answer is no. Sometimes it seems like it's just a flat no. But remember... Yeshua prayed uh, in John 17, he prayed that, that all who are in him would be one, as he and the Father are one. Will his prayer go unanswered? You know, some have said that that prayer by Yeshua um, is one of the most spectacularly unanswered prayers in all of world history. You believe that? So is it unanswered in your life? that you would be one with your brothers and sisters as Yeshua and the Lord are one? Will it continue to go unanswered in your life? Is it even one of your prayers that it would be that way? Well, Psalm 133, it's not a teaser from God. In other words, it's not something that God has put out there as a picture that's unattainable. It's a true picture of the goodness and sweetness of blessing and favor that come from God when we trust in him and when we meditate on, on this image that he has for us of how it can be. And the fact of the matter is, I don't mean to paint all doom and gloom, because the fact of the matter is that we do quite often see unity and, and uh, harmony in our relationships. We see it in families. We see it in communities. We see it in marriages. Again, I'm not pointing anything uh, that, that's taking place in our community. Don't get me wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying. Um, but when we see those pictures of, of unity, which we do quite often, it's an amazing blessing when, when, it's, when it is played out in real life. And we need to recognize that when we see just how amazing 
uh, when we see a good marriage or whatever it might be, and not just get overshadowed by all the neg negative stuff that we can easily come up with. Easily come up with. <laughs> and because we need, to, we need to look at those pictures and we need to appreciate when we see good things and good relationships and see just how much of a blessing it is because there's really nothing sadder, I think, than when one of those things are fractured. When you see fractured families, when you hear about family members who haven't talked in years, fathers and sons that haven't talked in years, it's a very sad, it's a very sad thing when you see fractured uh, families or fractured marriages, which, again, it's, it's really, that's an impossible relationship, Chaim often says. It's not hard to be married, it's impossible, he says. And it's quite true. So when we see those things, it's good because it's nothing sadder than seeing a fractured one. And it's a testimony to God when we see a good, long-lasting one. And we, the same with congregations, the fact that Yeshua Tzion's been around for 26 years and with no major kind of issues, you know, some people will say, oh, we really need a good congregational split. I wouldn't ask for that necessarily. Um, I've heard people ask that kind of thing. But the fact is this congregation has been around for a long time, and I think it's a great and amazing picture because nothing's sadder when you do see hurt. We've, we've had people come to us that have come from other situations, fractured situations, and it's, it's a sad picture. So believing, believing for unity and harmony is very important. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 of this psalm. Okay, because the, these two verses make comparisons as to what unity and harmony among, among people are like, is like. Okay, what harmonious living is like and what living in unity produces. So they say it like this. It says that it is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. So you've got this picture of downward streaming anointing oil. That's anointing oil. And when you read about that anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, it's a very special, the, the Hebrew here literally says, it's not just oil, it's not like, oh, medicinal. This is, it says the oil of the good. It says the good oil. This is the good oil, the good stuff. And in Exodus 30, we find out what that good stuff is. It was a specific oil that was used for anointing of the priests. It was to be only for that particular purpose. It should not be used for anything else. In fact, it said no knockoffs. It said you can't make anything. You can't even imitate the making of it. Don't try to make something like it, okay, like, you know, like the, the King Super brand right next to the official. Don't dare try to make something like it. Don't make a, a, an imposter, a generic. It says, in fact, if you try any of that, if you try to make a, 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 a knockoff brand or if you do something else with this oil other than this anointing, you were to be cut off from the community. It was the gravest offense there was for that. So we've got this picture of the downward streaming good oil. And then we've got the falling dew. And dew in the Bible, if you search on the word dew, believe it or not, you use a lot of, lot of uses of the word dew in the Bible. And, and the, the references are always portrayed as something that is life-giving. Dew is very important. Um, moisture in a dry land, especially, is extremely important and life-giving. When, when you read in 1 Kings, when Elisha says there's not going to be rain for three years, he doesn't stop there. He says, there'll be no rain and there'll not even be any dew. So take that kind of thing is what he's saying. It's serious. It's a serious issue because uh, dew was equated with life itself. So falling dew and anointing oil. And the other thing that is emphatic in these last two verses is that three times we read that the oil and the dew descended or came down. 
The same word is used there three times. In the short psalm, you got things mentioned three times. It's a big deal. And so it, it descended or came down. The goodness and the sweetness of the oil, while good for Aaron's head, it says also went to his beard, to the benefit of his beard, right? And then figuratively in his role as priest, the idea is that the, the, this abundance we see goes out to the rest of the community. It came down benefiting more than just, more than just him, more than just his head, more than just his beard, went on to the community. And, and likewise, the, the dew of, of, of Mount uh, Hermon, um, it, was one of the, it is one of the highest mountains in that region. So even in dry times, it stretches up into the clouds. I believe it's over 10,000 feet. So it can actually reach into some, some of the lower clouds. Uh, and so when there's dryness, you know, they, there's all kinds of argument as to, does it really pass down? I mean, some of this is figurative, but some of it's literal, literal as well, that that moisture that Mount Hermon is collecting is actually going down to the lower heights as well, to the lower mountains like Zion. But the picture here, and again, I think the application for us is that in like manner, um, harmonious relationships among ourselves are not just for our own benefit, but they're a blessing to others. They're a blessing to those that see us. They're those that want um, a blessing to those that want harmony and sweetness in their relationships too. And the idea of, of this picture of the oil and the dew coming down also teaches that unity, like all good gifts, is from above, that it is something that is bestowed rather than contrived or made up. It's something from above that's bestowed. It's a blessing rather than an achievement. We can't say that we have achieved a good relationship. The fact is that it's just like oil that runs down, dew that comes down. It's something that comes down from above and that's bestowed. And we can try, as, we can try and there are things we are to do in our responsibility in our relationships with others. But the fact is at the end of the day that, you know, when, when brothers dwell together in unity, it is from above. It's a blessing. It's something that's bestowed upon us. And we see in the last verse of this psalm, it says that from there the Lord ordained his blessing. From there the Lord ordained his blessing. From there, literally the word there is there in the text. You see there, there? Because it's there. There. Sham says there. From there literally means Mount Zion, because in, in context of the, of the passage there. But figuratively, there means there, meaning there, in our unity, in the, in the whole theme of this psalm. There in our unity. There the Lord ordained, or there the Lord, it says literally, he commanded. The Lord commanded his blessing, or he commands his blessing. And what is the blessing? What's that? Yeah, it's exactly what it says. Life everlasting, life forevermore. Literally, it says, until the forever, is what it says in the Hebrew, until the forever. It's poetry, so life forever, life evermore. That's the blessing that he wants to put there, not just Mount Zion, but there, in our unity, when we're dwelling in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing, life forevermore. That connects, I saw a connection there with, with John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, Yeshua said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Breaking that verse down a bit, um, you see the language there, it, it's, it's desirous language. Literally, it's, it says that I have come for the purpose. This is the purpose that says Yeshua has come. I have come in order that, for the purpose that you might have. And it's not doubtful like might have, like I hope you guys have it. The purpose is that that's what he wants. It's a desirous language, that you might have life. And it says abundantly life, even more so, not just life, but abundantly life. 
The Greek is very emphatic here. It talks about thing being abundant, exceeding the usual number, something extraordinary, something remarkable, something that you really can't even measure. And again, it just says that you might have life, you might have abundantly life, you might, you might have it, another expression of his desire. So in the same way, this psalm is God's heart for how he wants to see us live. You know, again, we, we, we see that he, you know, in, in other places in Scripture, I mentioned in John 17, where we see that he commands us to love one another, right? And it's great when we love God, and I, I've, you know, I've, I've thought of this before, is that it's great when my kids come and they hug me and I love you and they meet me, and some of you have seen them do it to me when they come in the building, and it's wonderful, I love you, Daddy, and that's great. Believe me, I like that. But I like it more when I see them doing nice things for each other. And when they're bickering during the day with each other, I'm not happy no matter which one of them, because I'm oh, I love you so much, Daddy. He said, well, then stop bothering your sister, you know? <laughs> if you love me so much, would you stop bickering and fighting? And it's the same picture. It's the same picture there, that God, God commands us to love one another in the same way. And without goodness and without pleasure in our relationships, we're settling for less than God's best, which is a good and pleasant life, a life of abundance, a life that can overflow to others. That's the picture of Psalm 133 at its best. That's the kind of life that God wants us to live, one that, again, we're benefiting, but things are coming down from him, and they're flowing to others. Because at worst, we're thwarting this kind of life, and we're letting the unpleasant and the ungood life also spill out over into the lives of others. So that's what's at stake in terms of dwelling in unity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this graphic picture of what you desire for us in our relationships with one another. And I ask, Lord, that you would help each one of us to see that it's not just a, a, a worthy goal, which it is, but it's also an achievable goal. Achievable only when we desire to do it as you do. And only when we allow you to do your work of bestowing it upon us, Lord, not trying to work it out ourselves completely. And I ask, Lord, if there are people here today that need to experience your hand of goodness and pleasantness in any of their relationships, that they would have the faith to trust you for that today, Lord. Sometimes it seems like an impossibility, so I do pray that they would be willing to trust you and believe that your process works and that your picture is not a teaser, but it's an actual possibility for us. I pray, Lord, that anyone here who would need to take that step would also take the step to trust you today as well, knowing that putting their faith and their trust in you and what you've provided us through your atonement, Lord, that that's the first step that they have to take in order to experience your goodness and your pleasantness. That's in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.